0: We all have a few of those moments in our lives where like your path just completely changes and you know that's what you want to be focused on. Crossing the finish line of that first race in New York City in 2008, a thousand percent changed the trajectory of my life. I won't say I completely lost interest in competing solo. I still did a bunch of races by myself, but I knew that this is something I wanted to do.
1: Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Carolyn Gaynor, Vice President, Relationship Director, and Investment Specialist at Avantis Investors. Carolyn Gaynor is a relationship management leader with a passion for serving the advisor community. She has more than 17 years of experience in financial services and is a sought-after public speaker and storyteller who has delivered presentations at over 100 industry events. Carolyn's stories and presentations draw from her ongoing volunteer work as a sighted guide for blind and visually impaired athletes. She is an accomplished endurance athlete who has been competing in triathlons for over two decades. Part of her passion for endurance sports is giving back. Carolyn enjoys guiding blind and visually impaired triathletes through Ironman triathlons, and she is a 2 time race across America team finisher. Listen in for some great takeaways about someone that has taken her professional interests and found a way to weave in her personal stories from assisting those that are visually impaired and blind to helping those that she serves. Well, I have the pleasure today of being with Carolyn Gaynor, Vice President, Relationship Director, and Investment Specialist at Avantis Investors. It's a pleasure to have you today, Carolyn, with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Larry. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I am so excited to have you. And I know a lot of people are probably thinking that this is going to be investment-related because of who you are and who you work for. But I was so enamored with your personal story and stuff that you're doing on a personal level. I was like, man, I got to have Carolyn on the show. So thank you for coming on and being willing and open to sharing your story with us today.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. Absolutely.
1: So I always like giving people a little bit of background, like giving a little knowledge of who the person we're having on is and kind of how they got to where they are today. So could you give us a 10,000 foot view of who Carolyn is and what got you to where you are today?
0: Well, what got me to where I am today is a lot of grit, a lot of failures, and then persistence, which I guess goes along with grit. In terms of professionally, what got me to where I am today is I went to a great college. I was very, very lucky to do that. And I worked at a lot of jobs in my 20s that did not resonate with me. And it took kind of taking a full step back from the financial services industry working at a bike shop in Austin, Texas. I kid you not, I moved from New York to Austin. And that's where I met a woman who really taught me about financial advisors and let me know that there were firms out there that support financial advisors. So I really found my calling in my early 30s. And I love to share that because if there's anyone who's listening who is still trying to figure out their path. It's never too late.
1: So you don't have to have it all solved before you go to college, freshman year, I guess.
0: Absolutely. I do not understand people who do have it figured out that young. It took me longer than most, but yeah, that's wild to me.
1: So what type of roles did you have prior to the bike shop and then finding your role here to where you are today with Avantis?
0: In my early 20s, I was working at a couple of asset managers, a couple of banks, but I sort of made that mistake where you think that if you switch jobs, the next one will be better, But really, you have to look at yourself and think about what you actually want to do and what motivates you before you can make any type of job change. So I definitely did made the mistake of moving around too many times. In my 30s, I joined DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, and was there for six and a half years. And I love the work I did there. But when Avantis Investors launched four years ago, I knew that that was the place I wanted to be. And I focused really, really hard on getting a job there. And it's been a fantastic almost three years. So I'm super grateful to have had the roles I've had.
1: Awesome. So one thing that I understand from what I've seen you speak about is that sports have played a major part in your life. I think that's not really uncommon to a lot of people in the finance profession and I guess a lot of different roles, right? I think anybody who's an athlete, it ends up playing a big part in their life. How do you think sports have shaped who you are today? And maybe share what sports.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes people make, I don't even know if it's a mistake, but it's so easy when you start working to sort of give up on your hobbies and the things that bring you joy outside of work. So, one of the reasons I really enjoy being on podcasts, especially, is sharing that you don't have to give up yourself outside of work to be successful. And I don't think I would be successful in my professional life if I hadn't continued competing outside of work, which I really have since I began doing sports when I was younger. Probably the sport we'll talk most about today is triathlons. And I've been competing in triathlons for 23 years. I'll be 40 in December, so it's been a really long run. So that's a swim followed by a bike and then a run. That's the general order of the sports. What people who have seen me present before know is that I've done several Ironmans as well, which relates to a specific distance, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile run. I've been racing pretty consistently since I was 23. And I've continued to do so throughout all of the different jobs that I've had. And even since becoming a mom.
1: Were you a runner, a biker and a swimmer before putting them all together? Or was it you kind of just set out to go down this triathlon iron man, iron woman route?
0: So I was a runner in high school and I played water polo, but no, I was not a competitive swimmer, which is evident if you look up any of my race times from the beginning, but I always loved setting goals for myself. And I watched my father compete in rowing when I was younger. I actually was a rower in college. It just seemed like a really hard thing to do. And so when I was going into my senior year of high school, I signed up for my first triathlon with the support of my parents. I wrote my own training plan, and I completed my very first Olympic distance triathlon. And I even wrote my college entrance essay on what it was like to do my first triathlon. So I should say that, I mean, triathlon has brought so much to my life. I've been doing it for so long. But really, I think having that passion outside of work and outside of school It pays off in spades.
1: What really brought you to the point where you wanted to or you decided to do that first triathlon?
0: I think I had a captain on my cross country team when I was in high school, and she had done a marathon. And so I knew I wanted to do something like that, which I did end up doing my senior year of high school. But I didn't want to run a marathon that summer because I was going into my race season, which was a two and a half mile race, but a triathlon seemed like something that was attainable, but hard enough that it would scare me. But honestly, having a role model, I hope that I've been a role model to others in the past, but just seeing somebody who had set a goal for herself and accomplished it, it really made me want to challenge myself and give me something to be motivated to train for over the summer.
1: So I was really just putting yourself to the test to see if you could do it more yeah, or less.
0: Absolutely. I think people do it in a lot of different ways.
1: I kind of, I guess, assumed and I kind of put triathlon with Ironman thinking it was just a branded type of triathlon, not realizing, I guess, triathlon is just a term for any kind of event where you have a swim run bike, not necessarily the distance. And then the Ironman is basically that same concept with those pre-described distances attached to it.
0: Correct. Yeah. Ironman is a brand and it does generally refer to that longer distance, also half of that distance. But yeah, there are thousands of triathlons in the US of varying distances. So you certainly don't have to do the long ones to get into
1: it. So what makes you make the leap from doing triathlons to then saying, oh, I'm going to do the Ironman? Because that's quite the challenge. It seems like it's much more challenging than just simply striving to do a triathlon alone. I love that question.
0: I don't think anyone's ever asked me that directly. It actually came from what I would call a failure on my part. I had been a rower in college, and that was the thing I wanted to do in college more than anything else. And I rode all throughout freshman and sophomore year and through most of my junior year. But I was having disagreements with the coach. I had feelings that she wasn't putting the athlete's best interests at heart. Whether that was true or not, that was my perception. So I really didn't feel like I could continue on that team. Now quitting a college sport, especially a D1 college sport, it's a big deal. I had never been a quitter, but I knew I needed to leave the team. But when I decided to leave, I said, all right, I'm going to sign up for an Ironman. Because the last thing I wanted was for anyone to think that I had quit this team to just drink or party, which was kind of the reputation people who quit. Earlier had gotten. And for the record, I don't think that's why a lot of people quit. There are many reasons to quit, and it's totally okay. But for me, I had so much pride wrapped up in it that I said, All right, I'm signing up for an Iron Man. And I even chose a charity to fundraise for. And it was one of those big, huge goals that was absolutely terrifying to me. So I basically, six months after I quit, I did my first Iron Man. First and only wow. solo wow. Iron Man, for the record.
1: <laughs> oh, that was your only solo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And in terms of making that leap and making that challenge to yourself, just out of my own personal curiosity, what kind of lead time do you give yourself to say, hey, I'm going to do this Ironman? And what kind of lead time do you give yourself to train to be prepared for that?
0: If you've never done one, your lead time's a lot longer. So I gave myself about six months to train, but I actually think that I trained too seriously for six months because I got a little bit hurt towards the end. So what I would say is you need to have a good base for many months leading up. If you start from zero, you need a year. If you start from a decent base where you can do an Olympic distance triathlon and you're comfortable running six miles and biking 40 miles, four months of consistent training. But you really kind of want to get to that general base fitness before you start ramping up. You don't want to be putting in 12 to 15 hour weeks, or at least that never worked for me putting in that many hours a week while working and doing school for like five or six months. Everyone has different abilities to handle training volume, but I've always been sort of on the minimalist side that I'd like to have balance in my life.
1: I couldn't even imagine taking on that task personally. It seems like it's such a high hurdle and just seems like, first of all, the swim terrifies me, especially an open water swim. I know that we've seen the Ironman at Lake Placid. Mm -hmm. People have a tendency to like that a little bit. Better if they're a weaker swimmer because it's a lake swim versus an open water swim. The open water I could never do. I'm not a strong enough swimmer and I'm not comfortable enough with swimming in open water to probably take that on. So I, you I
0: could do it. Of- you could, but you have to, <laughs> want to. And if you don't want to, that's totally valid. But a thousand percent, if you got the right coach, you could. But again, not okay. wanting to is totally fine. <laughs>
1: I probably am not want to then, (laughs) for sure. So one of the things that we talked about when we met was that you became a triathlon guide in 2008. And I think this is amazing. Can you share with our listeners what this is? Because I want them to understand what it is, what it's about, because I really think it's truly amazing. Because when you were telling me, I didn't even realize this was a thing.
0: Yeah, when we've buried the lead. So if anyone a few minutes ago heard me say, you know, I did one Ironman solo, that's because in 2008, I really shifted my focus in the sport. Since 2008, I've been guiding blind and visually impaired triathletes. It's very common that people haven't heard of this as a sport. But what's really fantastic is now the Paralympics is starting to get more coverage. So para really refers to anyone who's an athlete that has a disability of any kind. So if you are missing a limb or if you use a wheelchair or you have a mobility impairment or you're vision impaired, you're sort of competing in the para category. Now, for blind and visually impaired athletes, they are generally totally non-disabled with the exception of their vision. And so when they compete, they have to have somebody serve as their as their eyes, if you will. So what we do is in the triathlon, I'm connected to them the whole race. So on the swim, we're using a tether we're tied together either around the waist or around the thigh and the bungee sort of prevents them from going out into the middle of the body of water. And then my body is the barrier on the other side. On the bike, we ride a tandem bike. The pilot sits in front. So the guide is the pilot. We sit in front and the athlete sits in back, but we are both putting out tons of effort. So we are absolutely both powering that bike. And then on the run, we're tethered again, either around the wrist or around the waist, depending on the athlete's preference And again, my goal is to get the athlete to their finish line, whatever their finish line is. So my goal is their goal. I am not towing them, pulling them forward in any way. In fact, if I do that, they will be disqualified. So on the swim and the run, we are fully going the athlete's pace. And then on the bike, we can both put forth effort. So that's really the place in the race that as a guide, I can have the biggest impact.
1: Every time I hear it, it amazes me more and more. So, how did you end up learning about this? and how did you become so passionate about it?
0: So, I had been in New York through college and after college, and I'd seen a group called Achilles International running in Central Park. And that was my first exposure to visually impaired athletes was watching these guides and athletes run in Central Park. And if you live in New York, You can show up to a practice. They have a Long Island chapter as well, but they still on Tuesdays and Saturdays, they have practices and you can show up and help. So guides and athletes are paired together and they're running together. But my first experience in triathlon was I kind of fell into it. I remember I was sitting at my first job out of college in midtown Manhattan, and I got a phone call from a friend who said, hey, there's this visually impaired woman coming into New York to do the New York City triathlon, but she doesn't have a guide yet do you know anyone that can help? And this was a week before the race. And I still don't know if he was asking me without asking me, or if he really wanted to know if I knew someone. But regardless, I was already signed up. And so I said, sure, I'll help. But I really got a crash course that week because I'd never practiced as a guide. So my first time really guiding was in that race.
1: And I guess it was something that you felt so passionate about after that, that you kind of continued from that point on?
0: Without question. I think that we all have a few of those moments in our lives where like, your path just completely changes and you know that's what you want to be focused on. Crossing the finish line of that first race in New York City in 2008, a thousand percent changed the trajectory of my life. I won't say I completely lost interest in competing solo. I still did a bunch of races by myself, but I knew that this is something I wanted to do. And there are several reasons for that If you think about if you want to go work out or if you want to go for a run, you just put on your shoes, you leave the house, you go. If you're blind or visually impaired and you want to run outside, you have to have a guide with you. There are now some guide dogs that are being trained to run, but they're few and far between and there are lots of restrictions around that. So really, if you want to be working out outside, you're going to need somebody with you. And so I think about the privilege that I have that I can just whatever race I want to do, I can sign up for it, assuming I have the fitness and the money. But blind athletes need an army of guides to help with all their training. They need somebody reliable for race day. They always have to take other people into account. And so for me, it's if I am capable of doing this and I can help an athlete get their workout in or get their race in, that's something I really wanted to do. And there's nothing better than crossing the finish line right next to a good friend. It's just the most wonderful feeling in the world.
1: I want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our latest best selling book, Financial Planning Made Personal. It breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, easy to follow steps that anyone can understand. Everyone has a unique financial journey, and this book can help yours. Do you have your copy yet? If not, please go to financialplanningmadepersonal.com and order one today. And I have one more question for you. What did you do today that brought you joy? Did you have anybody in your family or any kind of relationships that you saw people struggling with their sight and their inability to run these races that led you there? Or was it really just simply this opportunity that presented itself that led you down this path?
0: Like most people I meet now, I had never met a blind person So it really was my experience in that first race and then subsequent experiences, because that's actually one of the things I find that's so interesting. Now, 15 years into this, most of my close friends are blind or visually impaired, but I often meet people who have no idea what blind and visually impaired people are capable of. I speak from a place of, I am a non-disabled person, so I'm very cautious that I'm not speaking for blind people, but man, these women are the smartest people I know. They have incredible careers blind people can really do anything that the rest of us can do if you cannot envision yourself being able to operate in a certain way you begin to create these assumptions about other people and it's really pervasive i speak as a person who has lots of blind friends that it's amazing what blind and visually impaired people can do
1: great stuff great stuff so how do they go about identifying an athlete to pair you up with how does that pairing process work well
0: it's funny i mean if you think about that very first story that was Crunch time, right? There was a few days before the race.
1: Yeah, that was just luck, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, and back in the early days, people have been guiding before I began, of course, but it was very sort of, if you had someone local and you tried to reach out to them and you kind of did whatever you could, we were making it up as we went along. Now, 15 years in, there are into my guiding career, there are a bunch of organizations, some regional, some national. There's a database called United in Stride, where athletes and guides can come together and be paired up based on location and paces. And then frankly, social media has been the absolute best way for me to be connected with athletes and for me to connect athletes with other guides, because it's the network that I've created online is I found guides last minute for marathons in the most random locations for people Just because you put the word out and if you have enough connections, it really works. And I mean, you're fantastic at social media. I know some people are reluctant to use it. But for me, I've just seen so much benefit from that power of the online community. But there's no training program. There's no qualification. It's really just who's available, fit enough, and willing to learn.
1: That's great. And I have to imagine that... There's a lot of learning that goes on, and you kind of alluded to some of it before in terms of meeting these women who are super smart, educated, powerful. I would imagine that as rewarding as it is for them to finish these races where maybe they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to finish without you, I'm sure there's a lot of learning or takeaways for you as somebody who's helping and guiding them? What have you learned through this process of guiding these athletes over time? What have been some great takeaways for you?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that every single person's different. Whenever people come to me and ask about guiding, they want to know if there are specific things that work for every person, and there really aren't. The idea that everything is a relationship, obviously, each person I'm guiding It's totally different. We have our own friendship, our own way of operating. But the way we communicate, if somebody wants to be motivated or not, all of these things depend on the individual. But I think that relates to everything we do in life, right? I think about your work as a financial advisor. Each one of your clients is going to need a different way of being communicated with. And it's all about what works best for that very specific relationship. So that's something I bring into my work with advisors, my relationships with colleagues and friends, and it's been invaluable. And I've really learned. And I've also, I think, learned how to connect quickly because there's nothing that makes you get to know someone faster than meeting them and jumping in the water and then biking for many, many hours at a time. You get to know people really, really quickly. So you learn the importance of being vulnerable and being willing to share and connect and all of these things make the experience more meaningful and I think allows us to get to know each other even better.
1: Have you built relationships with some of these folks that you've guided in terms of where you've run multiple times or raced with them multiple times? Is that something that happens pretty often?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, now it's sort of I'll reach out to a friend and just be like, hey, what do you think about this race? And let's go do it because it'd be a fun trip to do together. That's certainly what it has evolved into in my life is these are some of the women I race with are my closest friends. And of course the friendship can and does remain even if we're not racing together. Some people like to go on beach vacations with their friends and I like to ask my friends to do Ironmans with me. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I feel like there's got to be a lot of benefits to being successful in the race itself if they've raced with you before, because you know each other a little bit better, cadence, et cetera, I guess. Things like that would allow them to even improve their times over time because of that knowledge, if you will.
0: Yes. And we know each other's weaknesses too. I mean, maybe I'm racing with someone who forgets to drink enough or eat enough Or I'm racing with somebody who doesn't want me to motivate them or coach them in any way, because that is totally valid. I am not there as a coach. Or somebody really wants me to help calm them down if they're freaking out. Or I'm in the pain cave, and I need them to sort of give me a pep talk, because of course, I'm human. This isn't just me helping out in every situation. I've absolutely needed help in situations. So you're totally right that the more you race with somebody, the better it gets.
1: No. So listen, I want to pivot for a minute now into more of your professional side of things because I think that there are many in our profession working to expand the presence of diversity. Specifically, women in particular. I know you mentioned your first stop in the financial realm was through DFA. You may have mentioned somebody helped you get into there. What was your entree into the profession? How did that kind of look for you in terms of getting into finance for the first time?
0: I mean, I worked in finance all throughout my 20s, but it was different types of jobs. And my first move into asset management in terms of the mutual fund ETF industry was, yeah, when I moved to Texas and I met a woman who was in that external sales role who was a bike racer. I would not be here without her. So Ivana, if you're listening, thank you again. She said, you're totally capable of doing this. You're qualified. I applied for an interview and I was very lucky that I got one. But I will say I started over at a lower level in my early 30s because I had taken a break. And I think that the number of jobs I'd had in my 20s and the break I took probably made them question whether I was going to stick with it. But when I learned what advisors do and how I could help them, it was something I really wanted to do. But I will tell you that back then there weren't very many women and unfortunately there still aren't enough. And I've found that especially when women become mothers, if that's something they choose to do, I see more and more people drop out of the external relationship manager sales role. And it can be hard to find the balance, but we need more of us. So If anyone is listening and is curious about what it's like to be in a full-time travel role, uh, I'm always happy to talk.
1: Finance in general, was that something you were interested in beginning in college that you went to explore afterwards? Or was it something you found after you left college and were looking to enter your working career?
0: I wish I could say it was that thought out. (laughs) What it came down to was I did not want to be an investment banker because I saw that my brother literally never left his office. And that's what he had done. And I think
1: knowing what you don't want to do sometimes is as valuable as knowing what you want to do. <laughs>
0: but did I know what asset management was? No, I did not. Okay, I think that enough. our education system is not great at teaching people about retirement, and saving and investing and asset allocation. I had zero background in that. So the more I learned, the more I was interested in it. But I really wish I'd had a career center that had better education resources because I sort of fell into my first job. And then it was through, again, finding new jobs, meeting people, networking as much as humanly possible that I was able to learn about the different roles and what were required of the employees in each role, because it shouldn't have taken me 10 years to find this path. And I love what I do now, but no, I did not have any direction in college. <laughs> I was a history major. <laughs>
1: Interesting.
0: So again, if you're in college, don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I don't think your experience is much different. I mean, I had a similar experience. Our career center at that time, I don't know how it is today, but it was not extremely helpful to navigating and learning more about different roles. I kind of sorted that out on my own by getting an internship at a big brokerage house and kind of getting a job outside during the summer, kind of in a sales role, making phone calls. So I kind of explored bits and pieces of the profession on my own, because there was not a lot of guidance. I hope it's better today, but I'm not too optimistic that it is. But I, I would hope that it would be better today than it was when we experienced it, for sure.
0: You know, the one thing that I hope that I can get my daughter to do, and that if any parents are listening, is as your kids are, I would say even still in high school, because that helps direct your path into college. And I know that nowadays, you really do need to be more specific in your major in college. But have them send LinkedIn messages to a couple people a week and ask for 15 minutes and help them create a list of questions. I would be shocked if you didn't get a bunch of responses because you're not asking for a job. You're not asking for an interview. You're asking to learn more about what folks do. And I know I'm always willing to connect. I'm sure Larry, you are and people that you know. So it's one of those, it's such a great way to learn more about what people do. And I certainly didn't do that in high school, but I hope to encourage my daughter to do that because how else are you going to figure out what jobs are out there?
1: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that kind of tact. I think it's very helpful. One of the main reasons why my oldest goes to school at Drexel, they have a co-op program. So in his second, third and fourth years of school, he goes to school six months and he works a job as a W-2 employee for six months and he gets to figure out what he likes, what he doesn't like, and kind of narrow down his path and also make some of those connections that you mentioned also and and be able to have those conversations about those people that he's working with and their personal experiences. Because like you, a lot of people don't end up going straight into one thing and staying there for 30 or 40 years. Typically, there's some kind of jungle gym approach, as I say, where they kind of figure out their path. So there's a lot of experience sharing that can be done as a result of that for sure
0: absolutely and then to bring it back to the sport interest outside of work another great way to meet people find groups of people that share your interests if it's a sport go to practices go to group runs find a bike team if it's music find people to play with any whatever your passion is even if it's just an online community get to know people personally and make connections that way and it's just incredible how willing to help people are
1: Yeah, great points. So you mentioned earlier, we have more women in the profession than when you started. We're still a long way off from where we need to be. In your view, in your opinion, how do you think we can get more women into the profession and be part of the profession?
0: I think we need to be more vocal about the roles that are available and we need to elevate women into positions of leadership so that they can be the role model for folks. Cause I don't think I've ever had a woman boss. All of these experiences are really helpful. If you just, you see that there is somebody who's like you, who's in that position it's a lot easier to envision yourself in that position. So I think for women who are currently in the industry to be present on social media, to go to networking events, to meet people and be willing to help. And then for the men in the industry to sponsor women and to elevate and promote them, women that are qualified, of course, but I think that it's sort of incumbent upon all of us to help retain the women we already have. (laughs) So equal opportunities for folks. One of the things I think that would be very helpful is, Making sure that men who have kids take parental leave. Because if I have a child, I'll take a solid amount of time off of work and a man might take a couple of weeks. So I think it's companies need to put the parental leave in place to allow both primary and secondary caregivers to take enough time that it's not always the person who's giving birth that takes three to four months off because that sort of widens the gap. So I think we all kind of have to play our role. So men keep doing more at home and enable your spouses to do more professionally. Frankly, the reason that I'm able to do what I do is because I have a fantastic husband who supports my career and that enables me to travel. So I am very fortunate because I think it would be really difficult if I didn't have a good support network at home.
1: I think that's a great point and, and amazing. And I know one of the things that we're proud of being a Carson partner firm and Carson, along with some other very large firms in the profession started last year. And I think 2023 is the second year of hosting Excel Represent, which is basically a couple of day event to highlight women in the profession and engage women in the profession in order to encourage more women to enter and explore the profession. So I'm pretty proud that they have that involved. And if you're not involved in it, you might want to take a look at it because it might be something of interest to you and to other women who have an interest in the financial profession. I think it's a great way to connect, network with, and see what other women are doing in the profession. And some of them at very high levels, including Terry Shepard, who's part of Carson.
0: I love that. And it's funny, American Century has a similar passion. I mean, we've got groups for women, people of color, people with disabilities. And they've continued to be more and more supportive of parents in the workplace, including extending secondary caregiver leave, which I think is such a big step. So I'm really proud to work for Avantis, which is a brand within American Century Investments. And that was actually, I think, a big part of why I took the job at Avantis was The parent company and the way they support employees and really try to promote diversity. So I think, again, if we have folks that are listening and trying to think about what sort of job they want to have after college or parents, take a look at the values that the company you're applying for represents. You want to work somewhere where you feel aligned with their mission. And that's something I feel very strongly about and why I'm so proud to be at Avantis.
1: Great. Sounds like a great organization. So listen, we end each of our shows, Carolyn, by asking each of our guests the same question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset, and we're all about joy. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success?
0: I sat with my daughter while she ate breakfast, and I read her a book. And there's just something so wonderful about when she's eating her cereal, and she asks me to read to her. And I just enjoyed it. And of course, I got my workout in uh, before that.
1: That's great. Got to stay in triathlon shape, I guess, right? Trying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do that. Like you said, I can, but I'm probably not going to anytime soon. You got to do what
0: brings you joy. Triathlons bring me joy.
1: 100%. <laughs> I'll root you on. I'll root you on from the sidelines.
0: Good. I'll hold you to that.
1: I think it's amazing what you're doing. I love it. Well, I love it. I mean, there's what could be bad about it. I just think it's great that you're allowing and affording people who would have a very difficult time navigating doing these events and they want to do it and they can do it, unlike me, and you're allowing them to fulfill that. And I think that's fantastic. And I admire you for that.
0: Well, thank you. But I promise you, the last thing I'll say is that it's brought more to my life than I could ever explain. So People always talk about it like I'm giving back, but I promise you I'm receiving even more than I'm giving. So, and that brings me Mm -hmm. immense joy.
1: There you go. So listen, we're going to have all your information in the show notes. But if people want to learn more about Avantis, want to learn more about being a guide for triathletes or for triathlons, for Ironmans, I should say, or they just want to connect with you and they want to take you up on your offer for a 15 minute meeting to have a conversation about your role in the financial profession. What's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? I
0: think if you want to reach out and set up time with me, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Send me a message. I'm happy to chat. And probably Instagram, if you want to talk triathlons, which is just Carolyn Bikes, but it's spelled like Caroline. So C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-B-I-K-E-S. My profile's available and I respond to messages. So always happy to connect there. Anything I can do to get more people in the sport and more people in the profession.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carolyn, and enjoy the day. Thanks so much. I want to thank Carolyn Gaynor for being a guest on the Mintland Money Mindset. Carolyn has taken her personal passion for endurance racing and used it to assist her in educating, motivating, and assisting the community she serves. Her amazing desire to help is seen in all that she does. When I first met Carolyn, I did not even realize that guiding those that are visually impaired or blind through a triathlon was a thing but as she told me more I was so impressed what a great way to give back and impact those around you by giving them an opportunity to experience something they may not have been able to do otherwise I know it inspired me Carolyn Gaynor and all she is up to can be found across most social media platforms all the contact information needed to find her can be found in the show notes Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit Call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money.
0: The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.